G'day and welcome to the Facelifted Car Expert podcast. I am your host, Sean Lander, and if you haven't met me before, you've probably heard me counting down from three on the Drag Race videos on YouTube. <laughs> and in three, two, one. I'm one half of the video production team that makes our, all of our YouTube content and I'd like to invite you and along with my uh, helper here or the head of video production I should say Igor to the Car Expert podcast and today joining me to talk about everything from cheap cars, bad parking and a brand new super duper <laughs> station wagon out of Germany is Scott Colley and William Stopford. Boys how are you doing? I'm really good and I'm very proud of you for having a crack at your boss in the second episode of the new <laughs> podcast. That's a really bold opening and I like it. It's what we're here for. We're here to have a crack at our boss. <laughs> yes. uh, Will, how are you doing, mate? You're, you're normally in Brisbane, but you're actually here live in 4K in Melbourne with us today. Mm, yes. Um, I actually decided instead of flying down that I would drive down for a change. Uh, so I just got into the office a day or so ago after four days on the road. First time doing the whole Brisbane to Melbourne drive. Won't be the last time because I'm doing it again at the end of the month. <laughs> Good get back there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know my car's here. What am I supposed to do now? Um, so yes, yeah, so it was a, a fun drive. Yeah, so where, where did you park your car when you got here, Will? Did you have to find a car park in the city? Uh, no, no. Um, so I parked it, you know, where I'm staying because uh, I was told that I could not park yes, it here. Correct, yes, correct. You absolutely may There's not. A finite number of parking passes here, and I could not uh, leave my vehicle here. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it feels well, like you're ramping up to something. I am. I'm going to go straight into our first topic today. So. Uh, you may have parked before in Secure Parking, which is a company in Australia. They uh, have parking garages in most capital cities and a few other places. And essentially, it's you know pay to park in the CBD. You they did offer a service where you could pre-book your parking spot and guarantee a parking spot. But when you got there. Scott, I think that you didn't always have a parking spot. Is that the case? Is that the case? Yeah. So just to cover off all our legal bases, allegedly, allegedly, uh, at the moment, allegedly you didn't have a parking space. But yeah, secure parking is being taken to the federal court by the ACCC, which sort of looks after consumers and calls out businesses doing the wrong thing in Australia, because people would book these guaranteed parking spots online, and they rock up with five minutes until their job interview or birthday party or kids' piano recital or whatever it was, and get there, and there would be no parking. Um, and apparently over the five years, Secure got lots of complaints from these customers and didn't really do anything about it. So obviously, if that is true, very frustrating, but it kind of got me thinking about why parking just sucks in general at every single multi-storey car park in the world. I know I've had it uh, going to the airport before. I've pre-booked, you know, because it's basically the only way to get it. And you get there and spend 45 minutes looking to find a car park that you can never find. So and the Melbourne Airport car park was booked out last week. Oh, so trying to book the day before, I clicked on the cheapest option, which is 12 bucks a day if you can get it. It's very cheap. But yeah, they said no parking available. You have to pay 100 a day instead at the really fancy car park. Right. And, and this is a problem because, I mean, we see it. Uh, we, we have a multi-story car park that we park in here at the office uh, and we find almost without fail every day the boom gates are either broken going in or going out. Yeah. This is, a, this is a constant problem and we're very lucky that there's multiple entrances and exits that we can get out of, but it's not always the case. And Will, maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on whether it's a similar situation in Brisbane to Melbourne. Oh, we've had issues with parking there as well. But look, I, I'm a cheapskate, so I try to avoid paying for parking where possible and I try to make it a point to never pay for street parking because why the hell should you have to pay for street parking? Yeah, parking on the street, yeah. It's a bit of a fickle one, and maybe we, we won't go too yeah, deep into that yeah. one today. But, you know, I understand that the multi-storey car park operators, they're generally a privately run operation. 
They have to make some money. But here's one. What about you go to a Westfield, right? And you go... Already, you, I hate it. Yes. <laughs> you go to Westfield. Generally, you get three hours of free parking. You go watch a movie and you might go do Woolies or you might go to Big W and you do a quick shop. By that time, then you're up for nine, 10, 20 bucks in parking. Like, do you think there should be... Um, do you think they should be providing a better service considering what they're charging for it? Or is it it's too far gone and there's no fixing it? I think it definitely should be a better service. And if you think of the number of car parks you go to that you pay through the nose for, especially in CBD, and then the parking spots are designed for a smart car, everything is filthy. There's people queuing up out the door because the gates don't work. I would say it's not good enough, but obviously it is because people keep paying. But yeah, definitely the expectation is when you're paying for a service, you get the service that you're paying for. And that, I think, is almost never the case in, in Australia, at least. Of course they're going to keep paying, Scott. What, what are they going to do? Take public transport? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. A walk. Yes, well, welcome to the Car Expert Train podcast. <laughs> this week we're talking about the diesel. Look, no. <laughs> it could have just been Train Expert yes. podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're branching. We've got to keep, keep them alive. We're like a Chinese car brand. Yeah. There's sub-brands on sub-brands yes. on sub-brands here. Yes. So that is, you just raised another really interesting point there, Scott, about the, the spaces within a parking spot. Yeah. Now, I drive uh, an old Falcon. I think you have a Pajero I do, yeah. wagon. Uh, will you drive a Genesis, which is just a sort of a regular size sedan. It's not too crazy. Home brand Bentley, yeah. yeah. Do you, like, <laughs> I know that I go to so many car parks and like big, like Westfields, Woolworths, and I struggle to fit my, my Falcon in there. That's like, when do car parks shrink? Or do cars get bigger or what? Cars are getting bigger across the board. I mean, you look at the new Hyundai Kona, for example, and it's a, a fresh example in my mind because we've been driving it this week. It is significantly wider and longer than the car it replaces. And that means that the car above it gets bigger and the one above that gets bigger. So. Cars are getting bigger, and even if yours isn't bigger, because I know the Falcon hasn't grown over the last few years. <laughs> Not lately, no. <laughs> but the ones on either side of you, where once upon a time maybe they were an old Commodore that was quite narrow, they might now be a Palisade or a Ram 1500 or a Ford Ranger or something like that that eats more into your space. So if everything grows incrementally, it makes the people staying the same size in their Falcons, for example, feel a little bit smaller. I think there's definitely an argument that the spaces are getting smaller. So I, we saw in New York recently a car park collapsed. And my understanding is prior to that, they had actually found more space for cars. And the only way they could possibly have done that was to make the spaces smaller. Right? Or under the seat cushions. Yeah, we don't I mean, know. I'm not a mathematician, but like car parks don't tend to grow. Car spaces tend to get smaller. And then they, they fit more in. And I get they've got to get a dollar per square meter thing out of it. So do you think with the advent of electric cars, cars are getting much heavier? You know, the new Ranger weighs well over two tonne. Most EVs weigh well over two tonne. Do you think there is a safety element that we have to start considering with multi-storey car parks? Yeah, well, I mean, I would hope that structures are being built to the appropriate building codes, but do those building codes take into account the increasing weight of vehicles? That's, that's a really good question. Building expert is our follow-up for yeah. train expert, <laughs> yes. just to be clear. But it is a really interesting one because you look at the Kia EV9, it weighs 2.7 tonnes. And it is roughly the same size as a Palisade or, or something like that, which might weigh 2.1 or 2.2 tonnes. But 500 kilos is nothing to be sneezed at on the scale of an eight-storey car park. So we actually wrote a story about this not all that long ago, and a whole lot of people jumped in the comments and said it was scaremongering. But I do think that we are going to have to consider this going forward, because if everything from the very smallest hatches all the way up to the very biggest cars are five, six, seven hundred kilos heavier than before, that is going to cause problems. It is, but it's something that's uh, also to consider causing problems with the weight is Australia's roads. And I know, Will, you just did a drive from Brisbane to Melbourne. So 
Tell us a little bit about, this is your first time doing a long Australian drive, yeah. in my understanding. So, yes. so how did you find that? And I know it's mostly highway, but how did you find that drive? I, I actually texted Scott right after I crossed the border into Victoria because as soon as I crossed the border, the roads just got noticeably, <laughs> noticeably worse to the point where I'm like dodging big potholes and it was just horrid. Yeah. Whereas New South Wales, at least the roads I was on and the ACT, really quite well surfaced roads, maybe even better than Queensland. Oh, God, God forbid. Yeah. Something better than Queensland. <laughs> Imagine something in New South Wales being better than Queensland at the moment. I'm curious, was the other thing you noticed when you crossed into Victoria, all of a sudden everyone went from looking at the road to looking at their speedo? Because there's like a noticeable change as you cross the border. Everyone ups the speed by 10 kilometres an hour in New South Wales because they know they're not going to get pinged for being just over. And then you hit Victoria and everyone tightens the belt a little bit. I didn't notice that, but I did notice the weather instantly get worse. So, you know. <laughs> yes, there's a cloud there that moves along the, yeah. along the, the border. Yes. Oh, Victoria. Yes, this is, uh, we've had our three sunny days of the year. We're back to cloud for us. <laughs> three? If you're, if you're not you. in Australia right now, this is most of what we do, is just complain about other states, basically. So, Will, how did you, so, yeah, this is your first big Australian drive. How did you find the experience? You know, I know that you stopped uh, at Coffs Harbour mm -hmm. at the big uh, Big Banana, I believe you stopped at Parliament House. You made some really, like some, a bit of an adventure out of it, didn't you? Yeah, uh, I suppose I went to those things that uh, kids usually go, places that kids usually go to on field trips that for some reason I never did. <laughs> Because I've never, I'd never been to Coffs Harbour before, so I'd never been to the Big Banana. Um, I had, I'd been to Canberra for a bunch of vehicle launches because car companies love to do launches out of Canberra, which I guess makes sense because it's centrally located. Um, but uh, I'd never been to Parliament House, so I just figured may as well make a little bit of a trip out of it. And I'd done big American road trips before, but I'd never actually done, you know, and I'm obviously from here. I've spent most of my life here, so um, it was nice to actually get out and see more of Australia. I mean, a lot of Australia's highways, mind you, but... Um. Did you have any politicians try to get in the back of your Genesis <laughs> when you were in Canberra? Because it is the perfect hire car. I did take a photo right in front of Parliament House. I'm just like, mm, this just looks like an official car. <laughs> so uh, you drove down the coast road. When you head back, are you going to go inland this time, do it a bit differently? Yeah, whatever the quickest way is, okay, so, basically. So to Tullamarine on a plane back to Brisbane. <laughs> yeah. The no, car I, was shipped up. My brother is moving uh, back to Brisbane. So uh, we're loading up the car with things he doesn't trust the mover with. Um, and we're just going to try and do that trip as uh, quickly as possible, basically. So Fair enough. Won't be as fun or as scenic. No. Well, think, speaking of things that are not as fun or as scenic, cheap cars in Australia seem to be making a bit of a comeback. That is a great segue. <laughs> it's a really good segue. I, 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 I don't sleep at night. I just go up with segues. So. You're going to have to work harder. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So... Uh, GWM have just released the Aura, which is a funny looking little hatchback. Uh, I guess it kind of looks like Hello Kitty's car. <laughs> sure, yeah. But it costs less than $40,000 and it's the cheapest EV in Australia. Not oh, quite. not quite. Sorry, oh. I'm going to stop you there. MG undercuts it by $1,000 and BYD undercuts it by $1,100. Wow, okay, so it's one of the cheapest EVs <laughs> in Australia. But it isn't a micro car. It is actually a fairly well-sized vehicle. The packaging is not great. And I'm not just talking about the looks. There's not a lot of space in the boot. There's not a lot of rear leg room. So there are quite a lot of compromises. And I think that's the thing that, that we've got to consider. You know, Mahindra have got the XUV 700. It's under 40 grand, but it's a seven seat. Again, just full of compromises. And I think, is that something, guys, that we're, we're looking at now? We've got cheaper cars coming back, to a degree, cheaper cars but they're heavily compromised. Is that fair to say? I think you're, you're being very generous to call a $40,000 hatchback cheap. 
Um, it definitely is cheaper than the electric cars on sale at the moment, but we're still a long way off from a, a cheap electric car in Australia when you consider that for a very long time you could get a new car for 15 or 16 grand drive away. Um, Mahindra and GWM and the Chinese brands we're talking about are the ones that are going to do it though. Given what we've seen from established car makers in Oz now, everyone wants to move up market because building a new car is really hard all of a sudden. There's really strict emission standards globally, there's safety standards, and we're really demanding. We want more in our cars as well, and that makes them expensive. So as those brands have moved up market, the Chinese and the Korean and the uh, Indian brands have sort of slotted in underneath. And I think that trend is definitely going to continue. So talking about a car that used to be $15,000, the <laughs> Mazda 2, uh, it kind of does the opposite of become a cheap car. It's still relatively cheap compared to the $40,000 SUV. But the new Mazda 2 was just announced with a price of $22,000. And if you look at a 2013 Mazda 2, it was about $16,000. So that's a fairly big jump up in 10 I years. Will, I will defend Mazda in, in that instance there because if you look between that year that you mentioned, 2013, and now, so obviously we've gone into a new generation, so you expect prices to go up a little bit there, fair enough. But a few years ago, Mazda added a bunch of standard safety equipment to the Mazda 2 and increased the pricing. So if you're comparing a current Mazda 2 to a Mazda 2 from 10 years ago, even setting aside the whole inflation issue, you're still looking at a car that's comprehensively much more equipped, much better equipped, I should say, than a car 10 years ago. But my question on that is, because we hear this from car makers all the time, again, Hyundai with the new Kona, it's more expensive, but it's bigger, it's got more equipment, it's more efficient. That's awesome, but it doesn't put 4,000 extra dollars in the person's pocket to actually be able to afford to buy it. So I get what you're saying, that cars are safer, smarter, more efficient now than they used to be, but that doesn't change the fact that if you could afford a car five years ago, maybe you can't now because they are more expensive and instead people are looking to the used car market, which is also really heavily inflated. I mean, the cheapest cars in Australia now are what, the Kia Picanto and the MG3. And look how well and, the MG3 sells. And it barely scrapes in under $20,000 drive away, whereas back in the day you could get a Hyundai for $9,990 drive away. So I know inflation kind of negates some of that, but regardless of what more is in cars, it's getting harder and harder for people to access a, an affordable, safe new car, and I don't think that's a good thing. I have to get past that mental block, because whenever I see like an MG3 priced around 19990 I feel like uh, this, this old man energy wash over me. I remember when you used to get a Nissan Pulsar plush for 19990 But it's true, I mean, that used to be a small car, it was around 19990 drive away, and now you're, you're lucky to get an MG3. The Toyota Yaris jumped up in price, again, it got a lot more safety equipment as well, but, you're, you're absolutely right, Scott, because the people that want an affordable car that are not really demanding about what it has, they're still there. Absolutely. MG is serving them with a car that is over a decade old and doesn't have much in the way of safety equipment. But fundamentally, that's, that's all the people that would have bought a Hyundai gets. Yeah. That type of buyer, I should say, maybe not the exact same people, but that type of buyer, they're now looking at an MG because what else is there? And MG, talking about the MG3 a few years ago, when they're obviously ramped up and well and truly in the top 10 now, but a few years ago as they were growing, we actually interviewed their marketing boss and he said, look, with COVID going around, with people you know, battling the cost of living, et cetera, some of them see the MG3 as a really good alternative to public transport. And that's a paraphrase, not a direct quote, but it kind of sums up what a lot of people want from a car. They want to get somewhere and do it themselves, not do it on a train. Sorry, was he selling the MG3 by saying, well, it beats the bus? <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely was not. And if you're listening, that is not what I was saying. <laughs> 
So it seems though that Aussies don't really, sell, or the majority of buyers don't seem to mind. They're not looking at a fifteen, twenty thousand dollar car because if you look at Ram, for instance, they sell nearly a thousand Ram fifteen hundreds a month, and they start at a hundred thousand dollars. Rangers, I mean, uh, your average Ranger now starts at well over fifty grand. So it seems that uh, there's whilst there's not as many cheap cars around, Aussies don't seem as concerned. Is that is that fair to say? The way we buy cars has changed. I mean, back in the day, people would pay a chunk of cash for a car and then maybe finance some of it now. And I don't know about right now because interest rates are rising. But for a long time, leasing was really cheap. And that opens the door for a whole lot of other things. I mean, you can pay a lot more for a car because the amount of cash in your pocket doesn't matter as much as long as you can make the monthly payments. So those factors have helped drive up the average price. But also, with the Ranger and cars like the Hilux and even the Ram, there's been lots of programs from the government that make them really attractive. The instant asset write-off, which was ramped up again during COVID and has just been cut back, meant that if you are a sole trader or a tradie and you use your car for work, it's an incredible financial benefit to spend however much on a ute because all of a sudden it becomes a write-off at tax time. So there are other factors at play. It's not just people have more money to spend or want to spend more money, but more there's ways they can make their money work for them buying more expensive cars. Mate, I need this Ram 1500 TRX for work, okay? Mm. Yeah, you strike me as a Ram 1500 <laughs> TRX sort of driver. <laughs> Trade the Genesis for it. <laughs> well, Where would I park it? <laughs> yes, on the street. Yeah. They, they yeah. won't be able to reach the window to put a ticket on it, so you'll be okay. <laughs> But if you want something fast that's not quite as tall as a Ram TRX, the M3 Touring from BMW might be the car for Another you. Another flawless segue, yes. uh, It actually costs about half the price of a Ram TRX, uh, coming in at around $180,000 for the base model. It only comes in one trim, the competition guys, but really, why would you want anything else? Uh, and if you're not sure what a Touring is, if you're listening to this podcast rather than watching, the Touring is basically the station wagon version of the M3, which is BMW's fire-breathing super saloon, more or less. Uh, so, Scott, I believe you had a drive of the M3. Touring. I spent a lot of time in the M3 Touring and I just, I, I fell in love. You're still smiling from it, actually. Well, yeah, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's one of those cars that the car world has wanted for a really long time. And I know we're here talking about $20,000 MG3s and that means a lot to a lot of people, but motoring enthusiasts are a weird bunch. So um, they, for a long time, have been saying to BMW, we'll build a rival to the Audi RS4 because it's kind of the cool sort of staple wagon. BMW's finally done it and it's the most practical sort of super sports car I've driven. It's also one of the fastest. It just ticks so many boxes and it looks really cool to boot. I, oh yeah, I, I just fell deeply in love straight away. It's such an enthusiast thing, isn't it? A high performance wagon. Mm. I mean, I'm so glad that BMW has built it. I'm so glad. Um, because Audi and Mercedes have had this market to themselves for so long. But it is, there's no getting around the fact that an X3M is going to outsell this considerably. An X4M is probably going to outsell this considerably. So it's catering to a, it's a subset of a subset of enthusiasts, but oh, I'm just glad it exists. And I mean, you look at the numbers. I know you've, Sean has very helpfully prepared us a cheat sheet here, but three litre straight six, 375 kilowatts, 650 newton meters, I love the number, tons of boot space you've given us there. Couldn't find the figure there, could you? No, <laughs> uh, no I, look, it, it, is, it is a huge amount of boot space. It's not as much as a, an X3, surely. Sure. But, I mean, com compared to the sedan version, for instance, there's a huge amount. And I know that one of the features that I used to love on a 100 series Land Cruiser or an old Range Rover yeah. was that the rear glass lifted up. Yeah. And from a, from a filming perspective, that was really good because you could hang out the back and shoot, uh, out, uh, tracking a car out the back, uh, without really endangering your life. 
The N3 Touring is the new cameraman's car because it has <laughs> the same feature. The rear glass opens up on the boot and you can just hang a camera out the If back. you're listening, car expert finance team, yes. Sean desperately needs a $200,000 M3 Touring as his next camera yes, car. Yes, Igor would also like one in blue, please. It's uh, also <laughs> going to be able to do things that very few camera cars can do. I mean, people got a little bit upset when BMW went from rear-wheel drive to all-wheel drive on the M3 because traditionally it was a sort of Larry rear-drive car, but... The four-wheel drive system on this thing is so incredibly capable. I drove it down the Great Ocean Road, chucking down with rain. It was dark, it was cold. It was all sorts of things that should make an M3 really slow. Um, but it just demolished the conditions because it's got so much traction. And usually that means it feels a little bit dead. That's always been the criticism of Audi RS cars. But the M3 system, you can chuck it in two-wheel drive if you want, but I wouldn't recommend it on the public road. But even in its safest, most boring setup, you put your foot down and it feels a little bit rear wheel drive. It gives you a little bit of movement without trying to spit you sideways off the road. It almost feels, and this is stolen from someone else, like a sort of Nissan GTR wagon, the way that it just absolutely eats up all conditions. All right, so instead of being the last car you buy, it might actually be the greatest car you it's buy. It's the only car you buy. Yeah, the only car you buy. So I'm curious, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, we'll, we'll bring the images up on the screen now. If you're not, we're going to stick the links down in the description of the podcast, so do check it out. I've asked both uh, Scott and Will to spec their M3 Tourings, how they would have them spec'd, so you can check those out. Um, I went for a very expensive blue option. Uh, the paint colours on this car, some of them are free. Now, there are... It's incredibly generous at $180,000 before. There are 14 standard colours. Yep. Some of them cost up to $5,000. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to go and make your own individual colour, do you know the price tag on some of those? Oh, Because I, I don't. <laughs> I didn't oh. want to know. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was very concerned because it didn't just show it straight away. If you have to ask Sean... You can't yeah. afford. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. look, the one that we had actually was, I don't know if it was Daytona or Thunder Night metallic purple. I'm not quite sure which one it was, but it was metallic purple. It's an individual color over a white interior and it was just stunning. When, so, when I went to do this spec challenge, I went to spec it exactly like how that press car was spec'd and for some reason it doesn't show up. So I guess it is a... It must be a special yeah. order color. We've taken you off track. Sorry. That's all right. If you um, give BMW a call, they might do a really good X-Demo deal on that car. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say gently driven. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and if you if you are on YouTube, uh, hit the link in the description to see exactly how not gently driven that car was. We had a great time <laughs> filming that down at our proving ground. Uh, it does have a really trick feature in it where you, you don't just turn off the traction control in an M car. You have different modes of traction and there's one called a drift analyzer. Now, Will, I know you're a drifting enthusiast. <laughs> Where did you get that idea from? <laughs> well, I mean, you are the proud owner of a Genesis. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I go drifting in my luxury sedan all the time. <laughs> do, um, do, more and more modern cars are putting in these sort of features. You know, you're seeing a lot of AMG vehicles as well as these M cars. Do you think this sort of stuff's actually necessary? Do you think it's just cool to have? It's just cool to have. Fundamentally, I, I don't think anybody's really going to be using features like this on a, on a professional level. Um, but if your high performance, you know, super wagon has got launch control and a drift analyzer and all of this and the one from the other brand doesn't, well, then you might be more tempted to go and get the BMW because it's got those cool features. It's just a way of standing out. Um, I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I'm sure most owners will probably use it maybe once or twice and never again, but uh, I'll be glad it was there. Yeah, I'd love to see the correlation between BMW M3 Touring owners putting their car in rear-wheel drive traction off and then crashing it, <laughs> like a relationship between the two. 
Um, but it is something really cool that it, I suppose it shows that these car brands care. And one of the things that a lot of car enthusiasts sort of complain about is cars are getting heavier, they have to be all-wheel drive, they have to have all sorts of features they didn't previously. But car brands are getting very good at finding ways to offer a version of what we enjoyed before that still kind of makes enthusiasts happy while also making it safer and smarter and more efficient and all that sort of thing. I realise that also is key for them because they want to sell these cars and they have to make these enthusiasts happy in the case of the M3. But I think a shout out to the, the engineers who are actually going to the effort of building a, what, a massive family wagon that can be turned into a rear-wheel drive drift car just in case someone does want to do it. That, that's pretty cool and it, and it does show that, yeah, someone at BMW M still cares. It kind of makes me think what, what companies are doing in the electric vehicle space as well because, you know, people complain that electric vehicles are so homogenous but you're seeing people, uh, companies wanting to introduce features like simulated manual gear shifts and fake noises and things like that. So it makes me think, it makes me wonder what BMW M is going to do with its electric cars when they eventually come out, how they're going to make them stand out from the competition. Now, before we move on from the M3 Touring, can I just give one word of warning, please? Because I've seen how you've your car and you've made a mistake which one do you think it is the wheels no not the wheels no. it's the seats oh see i like the carbon oh. seats I think they're the so ones cool. with that thing yeah, oh the, no i'm only a little guy i fit in them quite easily scott doesn't fit in any seats <laughs> yeah, so that's true you know that's his problem so bmw will charge you an obscene amount i think it's about sixteen thousand dollars for a package that includes some carbon fiber bucket seats and they look incredible carbon on the outside too Right? That's, that's carbon roof. Carbon that's awesome. Seat. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all but they want. just, they're too tight for one. If you are broad shouldered, they sort of hold you in very tightly. But to get into them, you've got to climb over the bolsters. And once you're in, you sit with this carbon sort of appendage between your legs, yeah. for want of a better word. Yes. Put it this way if you are a man, you want to hope the seatbelt works really well. Absolutely. <laughs> in I, also, of an accident. Yeah, I experienced them in a manual M2, and in that car, it's even worse because you've got to go over ah. the top of the middle of them to get to the clutch because the pedals aren't aligned. Yeah. Steer clear, be more comfortable, spend the $16,000 on a nice holiday. But all the fuel for the car, or tyres, which you're probably going to need pretty quickly. This is sensible consumer advice. So if you haven't seen the video, uh, it's, it's out now on our YouTube channel. Do head over to Car Expert on YouTube and check it out. Paul does a really in-depth review. Uh, I filmed it, so it's fantastic. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'd like to thank you guys, Scott, Will. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Uh, Will, you're going to be heading back to Brisbane very shortly. So next time we see you might be in a digital form, might be in person, we'll see. But I want to say thank you guys for coming. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube uh, or on whatever podcast stream you're listening to us. Give us a like, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. We'd love to know any feedback you have. Uh, and guys, I'll see you next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Sean. <laughs>